Before we get to episode 13 of ScareZone, I want to tell all of you about what we have going on right now over at ScareZone.com. Not only do we have our ScareZone t-shirts, which thank you guys so much for picking them up. It really means a whole lot to us. It helps keep this show going. And I can't wait to see pictures of people in the park. I'm already seeing people wearing them and they're posting them. Make sure you send them to me. Tweet me, SZ Podcast, and I'll make sure to share it. But we also have this really cool Bill and Ted 25 tribute that Rob EO did. This will be the 25th year of Bill and Ted. And you can find this amazing art print. There's also some shirts, there's leggings, a bunch of stuff. And you can find all of that at this tribute to Bill and Ted, which is you know what brought me in to Halloween Horror Nights. It's a really cool piece that Rob did. I love it. You can find it right now at ScareZone.com and all of our social media outlets. And again, thank you guys so much for supporting ScareZone. And now on to episode 13. You guys have been waiting for it. Welcome to episode 13 of Scare Zone, Halloween Horror Nights podcast. And Chris, we're going to get to this really quick because it's a long interview, but well worth the wait. You know, from day one uh, here at Scare Zone, we've been, we've been talking to this gentleman and, um, you know, he's been a big supporter of the show. He's been itching to get on and we thought, well, you know, it's episode 13. I think now's the time. Absolutely. He's been wanting to come on. He's a very busy man. We're able to schedule it, guys. Uh, this is our interview with Jay Michael Roddy. If you don't know who he is, you're about to. And we, hey, we want to wish him a happy birthday because today, if you're listening on release day, it's his birthday. Take a listen. Now, once again, Chris Ripley, obviously the man setting up some pretty crazy interviews. It's episode 13, so we had to kind of pull out all the stops and find someone who you guys were going to know is going to have an excellent interview and it's going to be a blast to talk to that person. Chris, who do we have today? Uh, we have got the gentleman, the 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 gentleman, the the, 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 the not the gentleman. No, we've got a gentleman. I thought the gentleman who, was an icon that I forgot. No, no, <laughs> but he's pro- he was responsible for bringing them to Halloween Horror Nights, yes. I believe. Uh, but he, he, you could say the Walt Disney of Halloween Horror Nights, Mister James Michael Roddy. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, guys. My pleasure. I I'm honored that I'm episode thirteen. I know. That's- that's fantastic. You should be. We've been trying to figure out, you know, that, that one we knew was coming. So 10, we had on James Keaton. So that was a big one for us. Like 10, 10 makes sense for him. Sure. Like, like who is going to be 13? Who is going to be 13? And I'm just so thrilled to be able to work it out and actually have you on. It was, you're, you're one of our more demanded interviews. So thanks for, I know, taking out time from your, your busy schedule to talk with us. Oh, guys. It, wow. That's, that's really nice. Um, and James's interview was amazing. He's a, he's a talented man. Well, he said the same thing about you. I kind of gave him a rundown. I was like, hey, we might be speaking to, to Roddy. So any, uh, any feedback? He's like, you don't need my feedback. You're going to have a blast. So I said, all right, sounds good. Well, well let's, you know, for people that don't know, let's let's start. I mean, a lot of our audience knows your name, and they may know your name because of Jack. They may know your name just because of your Halloween Horror Nights lore, but that's not where the story begins necessarily for your connection with Universal Studios. Eventually, it made it into that way, but where did you start? Uh, I actually started at Universal Studios back when it was called Universal Studios Florida. Yes. Uh, in the fall of 1992. And uh, I was hired uh, as an actor at that point. Um, I was one of the uh, Ghostbusters. I was a uh, Dudley Do Right. 
where I actually met James Keaton. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I was a performer for, for a few years and, uh, that was fun. And then, uh, there were some opportunities coming up. Uh, they had just, I believe, uh, done Fright Nights. And, you know, I also worked at a place called, uh, Terror on Church Street. Oh yes. The legendary. Orlando, which was amazing. Um, <laughs> You actually, you guys should have David Clevenger on sometime. He would be great. Yeah, I never got to go to Terra on Tur- Church Street because when I grew up there, though, it was like it was. I mean, I, I have the billboard ingrained in my head as one of the more terrifying things, but it was gone by the time that I was able to uh, be old enough to go. Yeah, it, it's funny because um, I actually i worked I worked during the day at Universal, and then at night I would go and work at uh, Terra on Church Street. And then uh, just because I worked there in my interest, David um, brought me in to do a lot of concept work with him. I was writing some scripts for him and just helping him design some stuff, doing voiceovers and things like that. And then, uh, you know, also being a Ghostbuster was kind of cool. And um, <laughs> I got brought in to do some special events and VOs and stuff like that. And um, it was at a time when the entertainment department and the event department were just kind of starting up. And... Um, what was what was great is uh, the next year Halloween Horror Nights opened. I went and auditioned as an actor and came in, and they asked me, you know, um, hey, tell us, you know, what do you like about horror and everything? And I think it was probably a long audition for them because they they weren't expecting <laughs> me to kind of come out with, you know, uh, well, here's what I like, and here's the history of horror, and here's why it's so great that you're doing this at Universal, and um, and I, I believe it was Julie Zimmerman and. Um, Jerry Abercrombie, Rob Anderson, and they all said, uh, you know, back then I was uh, I was a little younger and a little thinner, <laughs> and I could do a really fun uh, Anthony Perkins kind of imitation. Right. So they hired me to be, uh, I, and I got paid as an actor uh, to stand out in front of the Psycho House um, and the Bates Motel, which was still standing, a still standing set from when they shot Psycho for the beginning. Right. Um, so it was myself and, you know, I, I got to play, you know, Norman, Norman Bates. Bates yeah. And uh, it was really fun because, you know, standing out in front of the, the, the Bates Motel and welcoming guests in. And they pretty much gave me free roam to kind of walk in and out and be in the main lobby. And um, it actually started a really great friendship with Leonard and Jean, uh, Jeannie Pickle who uh, are haunted house designers that you should have on your show at some point, because they designed some of the mazes in the early years of Halloween. Um, but they had designed the psychopath maze and I just had a blast and, uh, and just kind of meeting Julie and that team. They, they could see that, you know, wow, this guy really loves horror and he really loves Halloween. We should use him as a resource. So um, the next year when they were, they were um, kind of starting to design stuff I'm not sure if that's when they brought Jason in or not, but um, we all kind of became like a little think tank uh, about how things that were scary and, you know, pop culture and what was the cultural significance of, of horror and what was hot properties and things like that. And, and it really just kept going for me. And before I knew it, you know, I was I was helping design haunted houses and shows and doing voiceovers and audio and casting and and then it just went and went and then um we were a pretty good team but everybody there was kind of like a, a rotation of people that went out and uh 
in 90, 98, um, I actually, uh, well, I had also worked on some of the shows, uh, with a show director named Paul Vroom. I was his assistant director on some of the Bill and Ted shows. And I worked with Adrian LaPeltier and, um, which was all great. But then in 98, um, I got to finally do Bill and Ted, which was great. You're writing Bill and Ted at that point? Uh, no, Jason wrote Jason it. Jason was writing it. Right. directed it. And then um, what was funny is originally it had the Scooby-Doo gang, but for legal reasons we couldn't. And uh, Jason actually turned around a script, I think, overnight. And we were reading it in Mel's Diner. Yes. Uh, Jason and I used to like to go there just because of kind of the cultural significance of being in you know Mel's Diner right. and George Lucas. And we kind of always wanted to have that – Hey, we're George Lucas and Steven Spielberg of Universal in Florida. Um, so uh, he he'd come up with the idea of like you know X Files. The movie was just coming out, so we changed uh, Scooby Gang to Scully and, and Mulder, and and it was great. And then uh, Jason went on to Greener Pastures, and I, I kind of became the head creative for Halloween in '99, um, which was fantastic. Um, and then, you know, from 99 till 2002, uh, that was kind of my role. Yeah. And I, I just had a ball. I mean, those years I look back so fondly, I, I was able to kind of really influence what a lot of the, the event had has become. And, and I, I think there are still traces of it today, which I'm very proud and honored. I mean, you know, and then, you know, I don't want it to make it sound like I did the whole thing by myself because that's not true, but I, uh, I, I do, I creatively, I influenced a lot of things like bringing, uh, musical numbers into the opening of Bill and Ted, um, a little more uh, mainstream, um, kind of some of the choices, uh, horror, I think we escalate a little bit more and we actually had more of, a, a cohesive storyline for the entire event. Um, especially 2000, you know, we, we, we created icons, you know, before that point we, we had borrowed icons. I think one year we had the Crypt Keeper, but he really wasn't other than, Hey, let's just use him for the commercial. Right. But you know, for Jack, that was something that we owned and became part of part of the well he was the voice of halloween horror nights sure um that year and and uh i mean that's when i became even aware of halloween horror nights was 2000 the first year i ended up going was 2001 and i want to get to there but i do want to say so for those of us that are looking through our old photo albums for those of us that were kids in the 90s going to the early days of halloween horror nights so if we look at our pictures with the ghostbusters there's a chance you're in there <laughs> yeah so it's funny every so often on facebook um somebody will friend me or what have you and completely out not knowing that I used to work as a ghostbuster or what have you. And, and like, we might strike up a conversation. I can't tell you, I mean, it's been a lot of times where somebody goes, Oh, I went to see that show when I was a kid. Right. Which, you know, you got to go, Oh yeah. Yeah. And then like, <laughs> I, have, I have photos with the ghostbusters and, and uh, they'll look at it and they're like, Oh my God, this is you. And I'm like, Yep, that that's me. <laughs> I'm pulling out the photo. Up my I've called my mom. I'm pulling out the photo albums tonight. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I uh, and I was one of the actors who actually I I s was able and approved through the studio. I played all three. So nice. Depending, wow. I I played Vinkman, Stance, and Spangler, and then I also um, played Walter Peck. So I mean, I was at that show a lot. 
Um, Not to and, go too Ghostbuster. Ghostbuster is my personal favorite movie, so I know I could go on Ghostbuster tangent all day. Uh, oh. who, who was your favorite Ghostbuster to portray? Oh my God, Peter Bank. Of course. How could you go yeah. anywhere else? <laughs> no, and he's my favorite to play too, because yeah. you know you just kind of you got you to be cool. Of, well, it, 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 it's that too, and the thing that nailed that movie, which was so great, and why personally I think Ghostbusters, the new version, failed, is those characters were not were not lampooning anything. They were they were very strong archetypes. They were almost they were almost like the Marx Brothers. You know, everyone had a very distinct role, and they picked up where they left off. And you know, while visually I think the new Ghostbusters film looked great, I just, I, my gosh, I just, I still, I don't know what the characters were doing. I mean, like, you know, the. Uh, I know you feel. I, I, I'm a fan. I enjoy. Like, I watched the movie and thought it was, it was what, it wasn't what I was expecting. I didn't hate it. I wasn't someone bashing it, but I did go through it and I told to my wife, who she knows, like I was going to go in with the most critical. I was like, those characters, you cared about them a lot, and you could tell they cared about each other. That they yeah. loved each other. When yeah. at the end of the movie, when he says, "You know, see you on the other side, Ray," and you know, nice working with you, Doctor Fankman. Like that's a weirdly emotional moment because yeah. you know they love each other, and you don't really get that in the new one. You just kind of feel like they all kind of hate each other. Yeah, well, she's doing her Superman pose going into whatever that vortex thing was. Right. I don't care anymore. <laughs> well, my hope, my this is we're going to end the Ghostbuster tangent here. My only hope in that moment was somehow she's going to go through the vortex. And spoilers, they haven't seen it, and she would end up in. Like it was a parallel universe, and we'd end up in you know nineteen eighty eighty four, uh, you know Ghostbusters, and they'd be there, and somehow we'd be in that timeline, and that would set up a sequel. But of course, that's <laughs> oh, okay. that's well, that's not know, what happened. I, I had a conversation with some friends, and all right, this will end the Ghostbusters. This will end, but okay. Uh, <laughs> what would be really cool was that you know if they had, because I mean again, and you know it, the movie's been out for a while, so if it's it's a fine, sport, who cares? Yeah, yeah. But the fact that Bill Murray and Danny and they're all in it, yep, they're all in it. Even Harold Ramis, like there's a bust of right. him. But those characters should have been named their real characters. Like that should have been Venkman, Stance, right, and and Zedmore. But what would have been cool is if they'd done something, which I think J.J. Abrams did so well, is that something happened in 1984, right. And those characters, like, are before 1984, and they never got to be Ghostbusters. So this was an alternate universe to where why wouldn't why wouldn't the Venkman character be a skeptic? Right. You always just assume he was. He was. Yeah. That's how I felt too. I mean, that's how I felt uh, going into it. This will be the end. Exactly what I said. I said my whole hope was that somehow we were going to get a twist at the end with this. Episode. There's alternate dimensions in Ghostbusters. Why can't there be in this? But okay, moving on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, going back so, to Halloween Horror Nights, gentlemen. Yeah. Halloween. Well, it's funny because one year. Um, we actually, the first year I moved out of performing and moved into uh, directing, we did uh, a Halloween show where it was the Ghostbusters versus Robosaurus. Yes. And, oh my gosh, it was so cool. Because <laughs> it was it was on the streets of New York, and you had Robosaurus coming out, and, you know, he, he we had all these SWAT guys, and he, was just, he picked up a police car and crunched it. And then it's like, you know, what what had happened is one of the ghosts in the containment chamber, Tully had accidentally let him out, and it possessed this thing to become kind of this Robosaurus. And then the Ghostbusters came and crossed the streams and destroyed him. And I'm like, that was like one of my favorite memories. And I actually did voices and uh, helped write it. And so, I mean, that that was a lot of fun. All right, Chris, I'm going to let you so, ask the question because I'm going to go on more about way off topic. So go ahead. <laughs> more about Ghostbusters, yeah. Now, I was going to say, you said that in 99 was when you first took over um, in charge of Halloween Horror Nights. And, and that year, 
there was three really popular houses, that of the Mummy, um, the Psycho House, and then the Universal uh, Monsters. To me, that, that's, that's, that's real Roddy territory, those three uh, um, houses. So how, how daunting and how, you know, how much of a challenge was it to, to be in the, you know, in the main chair that year? Um, I was prepared for it. Like I, I wasn't, it wasn't like I just kind of jumped into it and, and, you know, I'd kind of been preparing my view of, of horror and storytelling. It's, it's one of those things, like I, I say a lot about the projects I get to work on. I've been so blessed with, with working on these things that I, I literally have loved my entire life. You know, I just did a show at Disney, um, which is a star Wars show. And somebody was asking me, like, oh, what was it like? How, how did you prepare for this? And I said, I've been preparing for this for almost 40 years. And when you ask me, you know, okay, universal classic monster experience to bring that to life, I, I lived that in my head when I was a little boy. You know, what the, what the crypt would look like in the, the lab and, and what the experience would be. You know, one of my favorite – well, my favorite classic monster film is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Because it's got all three of them in, it's got everything, plus it's got a little bit of humor, but they never make fun of the monsters. And that's what I love about that and Ghostbusters is the, the, um, the way to, to, to infuse humor in a situation, but not make fun of the, the very real threat. Um, so that, that to me too, I always look for moments to, to, to try to have moments of humor, but also moments of terror. And, you know, being able to, for the first time, really play around with the monsters and then, um, you know, the mummy, uh, that was a big franchise for, for Universal at that point. And again, that being able to kind of turn a film property, a brand into a, an experiential, uh, fully immersive experience, uh, I, I, I jumped in with both feet, you know, um, I look back at 99 so very proudly and, uh, you know, there was also there's just something so cool about um, when they're designing the mazes and and as you're coming up to it before it opened and you know back then the this used to open in October you know maybe the second weekend of October now I think it opens next week maybe um, or the, yeah very yeah. soon <laughs> yeah I mean and Mickey's opens tonight right. I think or yeah yeah tonight but yeah. there was just something kind of. Uh, you would spend your day walking into these these sound stages and and living in those environments and really just kind of breathing in the the smell of erosion cloth and the smell of you know we we use the different um, scents for houses and just really as a director and a designer just to walk through there and you lived in those houses long before the guest ever saw them and you really saw them come to life and the layers, that's that's the thing, too, that makes Universal's mazes so amazing is, you know, the fine work that guys like Kim Grommel and David Hughes and that whole team. Back then it was TJ Manorino. It's it's the layers and depth of, OK, here's the basis. Now let's add this. Now let's add this. And you bring in the prop people and then there'd be a day, you know, that was always so much fun where we'd go in and bloody up everything. Right. Um, and we'd be covered in blood. And it was just, you know, I mean. Your your kids in a candy store, especially if you like horror or love horror like I do, uh, this this is the this is even cooler than making a movie because you can walk through with people and it's living theater, but it's based on these iconic things that just terrify you and it's 
it's like the best roller coaster. I mean, it's cathartic. At the end of it, you feel like you survived. You know, whatever the threat was, you got through it, whether it's a chainsaw-wielding maniac or Frankenstein's monster or, a, you know, Anangsun Amun or, or one of the skeletal warriors. You get through it and you survive it. Then you come out and you're like laughing and you're having a great time. And then you're like, all right, I want to do it again because I survived. You know, and that's what I love about horror is it is cathartic. The best horror is you experience it, you get through it. And on the other side, you look back and you, you faced a threat and you, you survived. Absolutely. Now, 1999, obviously a great year for you. Then 2000 is sort of yeah. that, that year, that, that big, you know, the big number 10, the one that kind of launched you know, Halloween Horror Nights more into pop culture, even where I, I was aware of it more. And it started to grow and grow. And that obviously uh, a little bit had to do with Jack. So can you... Give us a little bit of that origin story of, of where Jack came from. We heard how James was involved, but how did you even decide to go with James? How did how did Jack come to be? So my old friend Jack Schmidt. Um, <laughs> you know, I I uh, it, it's funny we we had a company that every so often they'll do these things called focus groups. And so at that year, I mean, Halloween had grown, and I think the the marketing and and the marketing team was trying to decide whether or not, you know, how can we grow this event? How can we get more people to come to this event and awareness? It's kind of hit its ceiling and what's going to push it over the edge. So they, they got, as corporations will do with anything, they got a focus group to come in and, and we were sitting there and we were listening and most of it, I, I was, I, you know, I kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. I know what this is. I know what this is. But what was fascinating to me, is the one fear that was prevalent for everybody. And we went through a couple of nights of these with like several, several groups of people. People were afraid of clowns. And I, I had always kind of heard it, but I didn't know with what passion and what just kind of how much fear it really kind of prov uh, evoked in people. So as we're sitting there, I start drawing. And I drew this clown coming out of a box and I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm like, you know, to me, okay, clown, uh, you, you, what, what you kind of want him to be, you want that Freddy Krueger, Jack Nicholson feel to him so that he can kind of quip before he kills you. I always thought that was terrifying. Somebody that's kind of, absolutely, you know, yeah. Um, so I, I, I said, Oh, well I'll call him Jack. Right. And I put Jack next to it and I was like, huh? And I'm listening and I'm like, I put not afraid of the dark. You don't know Jack. And I just kept drawing on it and drawing on it. Well, we got near the end of it. And I remember I was sitting next to one of the marketing directors and they were all talking and they're like, yeah, you know, this and that. And I, I said, well, I have an idea. And they're like, what? And I slid this piece of paper over and I, I'll never forget. Uh, his name was Kurt Coaster. And he said, that's it. Him and a, a gal named Tammy Gustafson both looked at it and they were like, we're done. That's it. We're done. And I'm like, well, no, let me massage a little bit. Like, no, the slogan, everything. And I'm like, well, the slogan is from the game, but it's also a cultural don't know jack. And they're like, right, we, we can get it approved. And they took it. They took the drawing. And I'm like, but, but I haven't vetted this with anybody. And they're like, we love it. So we, we met the next day and I kind of put some more thought to it. And I said, well, here's what this whole thing could be. And I had seen this show called um, Autopsy. 
on HBO. It used to be on HBO. I think you can find it on video now on like crime and stuff. Right. And it's not for the faint of heart. It's it's a fascinating look at how forensic medicine has has captured criminals, right? And um, and it's, it is fascinating, but they had a little kind of inter, intermediate moment in there where they were talking about a story that was just kind of a throwaway where there was a, a carnival sideshow and like a series of trailers that was like up, I think it was in like New Jersey, and they had a camera crew that was going through, and the cameraman actually bumped into one of the, the dummies that was hanging on the wall, and the leg broke, and there was a femur sticking out of it. Oof. And they were like, what, what is this? So they called the authorities and they came in and they were trying to, and the story was how they identified right. that was like a, um, a gunslinger in the late 1880s that had disappeared, was wanted, but just disappeared. Somebody had killed him and put him in this house, mummified him. So then I started thinking about all the thousands of families and kids and that went through this and were scared by this. And it was a real guy you know, that had a real story. So I put that along with the, the Jack story is that, well, what if there was a carnival and I called it Dr. Oddfellows. Cause I, I, you know, that was kind of my nod to Mr. Dark's carnival from Ray Bradbury and a little bit of Tim Burton. And, um, I said, what if there's this killer who's dressed as a clown and he lures kids, he lures kids and kills them. And nobody cares because they're a traveling carnival, but suddenly they realize that the authorities are like, well, everywhere this carnival goes, kids disappear. So they go to Oddfellow and they're like, you know, we're looking at this. Is there anybody in your anybody in your stable that you would think would do something like this? And he's like, no. And then he realizes that, you know, this could close up my carnival. So he gets all of the sideshow uh, freaks and, and workers to turn on this clown, Jack, who they they kill him and stuff him in a in a jack in the box and put him in this in this maze and he's there for years and years and years and then in 2000 and a bbc crew which i just thought would be kind of fun like a crew <laughs> from the bbc is coming through and they see this giant jack in the box and they're like oh, i wonder what's in here and they turn the crank and they let jack out and that's that's what started the whole thing and um that's amazing. And my, my two questions to that is, number one, where's the drawing? Who has this drawing still? Oh, yes, well, where is it? Because <laughs> if um, not, I'm buying it tonight on eBay or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's really funny because um, for the longest time, Tammy had that drawing. And after that year's campaign, because then, you know, we took that drawing uh, and I told Kim what I'd done. And uh, Kim Grommel, who's an amazing artist. And I said, this is this is the story of Jack. This is what I'm thinking. Um, my original clown was a little more, he was balder, you know? Um, so Kim having a great design aesthetic, put hair on him. Um, he took a picture of me. I said, well, this is what he should look like. He should look like Nicholson in the shining coming out of this box. So they took a picture of me and he, uh, you know, to this day, I, I love the fact that they created the original image of billboard off of my face, Kim's painting. Um, but the reason I get to this is for the longest time, and I didn't even know this, uh, the drawing was in a frame along with one of Kim's and like the first ad campaign in her office. And then she was leaving and she called me and she was like, um, you know, I think you should have this and gave me the drawing back. Awesome. So I now have it. Um, 
And then I know somebody said that they had a version of it, but it's, I'm telling you, it's right here in my office at home. Um, it's one of the things, you know, I, people have offered to buy it from me and I'm like, I, I don't want to sell that. That's, no, you can't. It's my, you know, um, if you do, you know who to call, but no, you can't do it. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, I, I can make you a copy of it. Uh, I would love to see it. I think we, I think our whole audience would love to see what it looks like. I'll send you a copy of what it looks like. It's I, I'm pretty proud of it actually, but I mean, it's nowhere near what Kim did, you know? And, uh, and just a funny little side note, the face is mine on the original art. The hands are David Hughes. Um, and then we, uh, we were talking about designing this and I, I remember, uh, there was lots of conversation about how do you make a clown scary? And, and I said, well, you know, there's an actor here that, you know, and James to me, is he's so great at at just creating characters and he's one of those guys that is like Lon Chaney senior um you know it, 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 with the right makeup artist they can create wonderful characters and James loves to be in that he loves to to be able to have a mask to work from behind and cr- bring to life and um and I knew this a little bit about James and you know, I'd seen James do Doc Brown and I'd seen him do Ted and I'd seen him do Dudley Do-Right. And, and just also James is very funny, but he can also be very biting sometimes if he wants to be as far as his humor, which is a compliment. I mean, he's a very funny guy. I don't mean that negatively, even though it sounded negative. No, I know what you mean. I think we all know. Yeah. Um, and I said, that's the guy. That's the guy I want. And I remember getting this kickback of, but he's funny. <laughs> I go, he's an actor. And they're like, I, I don't see it. And I'm like, trust me, trust me, trust me. And so the very first time, and I have pictures of this too, Kim Grommel and I, along with a makeup artist, Jim Mudenberg and Jonah Levy, who actually designed Jack, um, we were over at this, the Hitchcock trailer, which used to be behind the Hitchcock attraction at Universal, which was my favorite attraction there. I loved it so much. Um, so we brought Jack out onto the Hitchcock, the art of making movie set. And we have all these photos of him at the miniature psycho house there and stuff. And, and it was kind of us unveiling him to the executives and, and James just terrified them. <laughs> and, uh, and they were like, okay. And then we brought the marketing people. And I think a couple of days later, um, we, they wanted to kind of introduce him and, and we had all these grand ideas and. I still remember this day we went to city walk and, and I'm like city, city walk. That's where we're going. And there's some, there's interview of it somewhere on YouTube, but it's, it's literally out at city walk, broad daylight, Jack running around city walk. I mean, no, no hint of mystery, no, no atmosphere. And James still terrifying the bejesus out of people um, who had no idea what was going on. No, well, that's the thing too. It was just like, what do you guys think? And they're like, what is this? City walk. People were terrified. That is incredible. That's such a great story. And you know, we have been taking some questions. We we tweeted out we were going to have you on. And we knew some of our listeners would certainly have some questions for you. So I think uh, I think Chris may have one of those. Yeah, I've got one from Amanda, aka Boston White, and she asks, uh, "Did you expect Jack to be such a hit?" Um, I didn't. I, I had no idea that. I would be talking about Jack. Um, you know, that was 2002 or no, that was 2000, 2000 uh, that I'd be 16 talking years about later, later. Uh, I'm, I'm honored that I, that people respond to him I, again. It, 
I, I, I thought of the, the character, but it really was the creation of myself, James Keaton and, and Kim Grommel. That kind of trio is what made it work. Um, but, you know, I, I, I am, I am honored. I, I had no idea though. I, I, I really, really had no idea. And I think what makes Jack so popular is he is like, he is like Freddy Krueger. He is like those mythic cultural icons is that he's funny. He's terrifying. Yet you, you're interested. You want to know more because he scares you so much. And, um, you know, I, I, somewhere in my files, I have a, I have a movie script that I started writing about Jack because, you know, back then I was like, oh, I'll turn this into a movie. That was my second question. Why? You clearly have the whole story ready to go. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, the the script is called Die Laughing. And uh, I've had it for years. But I mean, you know, Universal owns that character now. And and at one point there was a brief conversation that, oh, we should turn this into something. And and I was like, oh, my God, this will be my way to, you know, (laughs) kind of make him real and out there in the. But Again, you know, Universal owns him, and they're doing great with him. Yeah. I mean, it, it's still Mike Aiello and what that team did with him last year was fantastic. Well, you know, we could do a fan film. We could have Chris. You could be. You could be Jack. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the thing is, with, with the again, classic monsters coming back, why 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 can't they do a Jack film? Um, I, I mean, they could. Well, I they think could. it's. I think it's. I think it's on certain people's radar, but other people, you know, I just looked at. Um, I just looked at what Universal Hollywood's doing, and it's like, well, they've got Eli Roth kind of right. bringing his version of a clown. So, you know, I mean, I'm not Eli Roth. So, you know, I don't I, – I think it's one of those things that some people are like, this could absolutely be a movie. Some people are like, ah, I don't know. We probably need somebody with a little more weight behind them to do this. And sure. who knows. Um, but it is interesting to me the the rest of that idea for that script – actually translated a little bit into the Carnival of Carnage show in 2007. Uh, again, about, you know, what would be the continuation once Jack was released is he would, you know, in this carnival, he would grab these kids and he had his, his mate who was Chance and um, all of that was kind of mapped out in that script. Absolutely. And I want to get to, to some of that in just a minute here. But I did want to ask you specifically, my first year going to the event, I was very aware of 2000. And you know, I was an early teen. I was, I was going to go and for some reason didn't make it. I was down in college down there and I couldn't, couldn't go. The next year uh, it rolled around, I was able to actually go in 2001. Now this story, obviously a lot of people know it was, you know, it was going to be a different icon. It was going to be Eddie. And then yep. at the last minute, it changed. Can you give us, though, you know, for all of us, we obviously know, you know, 9-11 happened and that changed everything in the world. But from your point of view, what was that experience and what actually went down? Uh, sure. Sure. Well, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you, you know more than the us. We just saw it happen. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it was interesting. Uh, going into it, it was, okay, Jack was really popular and, okay, we got to do that again, right? But we can't use Jack again. We don't want to repeat ourselves. And, okay, so um, originally I went a completely different way and was pitched doing, okay, well, you know, you've got this this icon already in the park that you guys love so much, the Chainsaw Drill Team. Why don't we let them be the face of the event this year? And, you know, and then it was like, but it, it's got to be like Jack. Right. I'm like, well, they'll be different, but it'll 
be an icon and it, it just became this conversation of well why why do people care about the chainsaw drill team why would they care about this guy and i was like all right i tell you what let me create another backstory and um then that's where eddie came from and the fact that eddie actually was jack's brother um that they were almost kind of certainly not the best there was a sibling rivalry and jack uh, became jealous at one point and actually killed eddie and threw him when they were traveling through uh kind of like the new orleans area and threw him in a swamp uh where he half of him was eaten by alligator <laughs> and, and then a voodoo woman brought him back to life right that's the original backstory and uh and that was you know we actually went he shot the commercial I was there the night we shot the commercial with Eddie and Eddie looked great. He was played by a guy named Steve Mastro. Um, it was fantastic. I, I actually remember him coming through the the plate glass and everything and the, the girl going, Oh no, he's here. I, that whole thing. Like we, we would laugh and ju- it was just a great time. And then literally, you know, I think it was a day later or two days later, the world changed. It was like, I, I mean, I actually, I went in to work that day. I left my house when the first tower was hit. Um, I had to go into work. And then when I, by the time I got to work, the second tower was hit and the first tower came down. And we made the decision to close the park. And actually myself and Adrian LaPelty and a couple other people in entertainment went out into the park to talk to people. And it was a sobering, like, it was a sobering time. And then, you know, everybody went home and we just kind of regrouped and we came back in. And, I mean, you know, the event was going to open in like 15 days or something. And uh, so we met and we regrouped and it was, okay, we, we, we can't. We, I mean, we had a house at one point called Run, which right. has come back in several. But at that point, we had hanging bodies, and we had like what was the ICU theme and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that, all that was in response to just being like, okay, we want Halloween to be fun, but we kind of want people to forget that terror is really out there. Right now, we want them to forget. And um, I actually, at that point too, I was writing and directing Bill and Ted at the same time. So what's funny? Um, is the original villain for Bill and Ted that year was George W. Bush. <laughs> I had to change that one a little bit. Well, the I don't know if you remember that year or not, but we had Jay and Jay Silent, Silent Bob. No, it was my first year. I became a Halloween Horror Nights fan. Was the first thing I wanted to see was Bill. I'm a huge Bill and Ted fan. So uh, I went uh, because of that. And I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan. So as soon as that moment happened, that's like ingrained in my brain. That's what turned me into being just a, a huge fan of the oh, event. That's great. Well, the original idea was that um, – Jay and Silent Bob were uh, renegade clones of Bill and Ted. <laughs> and that George W. Bush was the villain. Because remember at that time he was against cloning. and Right. It was a big – That was the news. And we were – I mean we were really sending up George W. Bush as the whole kind of thing with you know nuclear and nuclear and all that. And I remember having this kind of moment of I, I can't make fun of our president right now. And that's how that whole thing changed. And I mean, you know, everybody worked 24 hours a day that that rest of that time just to make sure that we were we were being cautious while still being entertaining. Right. You know, well, so that's how that happened. Yeah. I mean, that was my first year. Was it when you decided to go back to Jack? Was that just the obvious 
you know, solutions. Because, I mean, I have a picture with Jack when I'm 15 walking around and he's bullhorn blaring almost a much more comedy style of Jack. But was that an obvious choice for you guys just to go, all right, back to Jack? Um, it's uh, mm, <laughs> an interesting question. Yes. I mean, it was one of those things where it's like, well, we've got this and we know people like him. Right. Um, he was played a little broader that year cause I was busy doing Bill and Ted. So there were some opportunities where he became broad, you know, and became more comic. And I, I wasn't a fan of that. Um, uh, you know, I always wanted him to retain the fact he is funny because he's a clown, right? But he's dangerous, and you know, there were a couple times where I'd be like, eh, I don't know if Jack should be using a bullhorn. <laughs> I don't. That doesn't feel right to me. But again, you know, at that time it was the right thing to do. So I understand. I mean, again, it was my first year, and somewhat because of that, it kind of broke me into Halloween Horror Nights because I wasn't. It wasn't as intense, and I've obviously. Ended up loving it in general, but I just was always curious about that story from an insider's point of view because it was so unique to see a theme park have to switch everything you know, so quickly. But I don't want it, us to like drone on and be depressing, but man, your moments got me because I was there too. I was in living in Orlando. I was I was at full sale at the time, leaving school and all that happened. So yeah. I definitely because um, we had classes at eight, five o'clock in the morning. So I understand uh, that situation, man, and that's just awesome to hear. Chris, uh, maybe you could uh, lighten the mood for us a little bit. Well, yeah, my good friend Gary, uh, that Florida guy, he asks, um, you're credited from Twitter. Having, yeah. They're from Twitter, yeah. yeah. Um, you're, you're credited with having created uh, the caretaker, Bloody Mary, uh, the Usher, Jack, obviously Eddie as well. Who is your favorite icon and why? Oh, wow. Um, uh, choose between your kids. Come on. <laughs> uh, Jack will always be my favorite. Just. Um, I always viewed Jack as kind of like my Frankenstein monster. It was my, it was something that I think got, we got right. It was, it was kind of that perfect combination. Um, I, I love the, I, I love them all, but Jack's my favorite. I mean, I do love the caretaker as well. I think the thing that I like about them is they're all tonally different, but they're all tonally mm. the same, right? They, they could interact again. It's like my Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. They're completely different characters but tonally they all have the same mode of kind of there's a there's a quality to them that's slightly supernatural you don't know if they're alive or dead but you know they're dangerous you know but you're also mesmerized by them they're they're eloquent um you know that's the thing that i love too the they're all very eloquent yeah they all have that great tone about them and you know that that's just awesome and you're know, bringing us to that point you know, we talk about Bill and Ted a lot. It seems like Bill and Ted comes up in every uh, story because it seems like all of you guys that kind of came through, whether even, even starting with Julie, who obviously was the person who her story wrote down, you know, we're going to do a Bill and Ted show. Yeah. You know, Bill and Ted just becomes such a huge part. It, and it seems to just breed talent. And we all have heard the story that Mike has given where you essentially gave him his shot to yeah, write Bill and Ted for that year. And someone on Twitter brought it up. And they were just curious about your relationship with Mike and what did you see in him to give him that shot? Um, well, first off, I didn't give Mike anything. <laughs> I, um, Mike is one of the most talented people on the face of the planet. And um, he's my brother. Uh, he's, he's 10 years younger than I right. am. And, uh, and I met Mike in the mid, uh, well, I hired Mike to be, uh, Mike was a Jaws boat skipper. And uh, I actually hired Mike to be a, uh, a blues brother um, because he looks like Danny Aykroyd. 
Yeah. And, uh, and I remember we were in rehearsals together and I just fell in love with him. I was like, my God, you, he's, there's such a passion and a drive in that guy. And, um, and he would do, we actually, in 98, he was in Bill and Ted until the night before we opened the end of that show was going to be blues brothers, 2000, the car was going to come bursting through and Jake and Elwood would come out and finish the show. And then blues brothers, 2000 really tanked. Yeah. And uh, I was there at the theaters, but yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I saw it too. I mean, and, you know, getting to know John Landis and things like that, it's like, you know, you, you, you start understanding. And when you work for different people, you kind of understand how these things go wrong sometimes. Um, but I mean, Landis, he, he made, he made a big loud movie and it's, it's fun. It's just, you know, again, Blues Brothers was a perfect mix at a perfect time, you know, it didn't need a sequel and, I, everybody wanted one, so you got one. And oh, it didn't live up to your expectations. Well, you know, maybe it's your expectations and not the filmmaker. Yeah. You never know. Yeah, I enjoyed it uh, as a teenager. So <laughs> yeah. So um, so unfortunately, he got cut from that. And then um, you know, he was at Game Lab, and I would see him from time to time. And we actually, I think he was a he did Chainsaw at one point, and I remember. Uh, the year I put girls in the chainsaw drill team, because I thought it would be so cool to like have kind of like the the baby sister who was just as dangerous as the the big boys. And she kind of bossed them around. And I think Summer was one of the first gals we had in that that year. Um, so Summer's his wife. Which, yeah, for those who don't know, yeah. is Mike's wife. Um, so anyway, as I was getting ready to write, um, I guess it was – 2002 yeah it had to be um he uh, or a mutual friend of ours said hey you know he's been working on some stuff and he would really love to show you some ideas for bill and ted and i was like sure um come on over and you know at that point again we were it was a small department so there was kind of more of a family feel of yeah let me see what you got let me you know there was no like i can't look at what you've done i can't you know how how dare you write something for a show and blah 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 so he came over and he he had i still remember it it was uh dr evil returning and um it it had like et in it that year because it was the 20th anniversary of et and um you you had the op- it was like the opening of a Bill and Ted show, and it was you heard the music from E.T. and there was this mysterious kind of John Williams score and and fog would come out of the barn and all of a sudden this spaceman would come walking out you know very much like the spacemen when they're at Elliot's house you know, the, the 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 agents in their contamination suits and then all of a sudden you'd hear him breathing it would be very dark and ominous and then you'd hear the breathing cut off and then you heard can't flip and breathe in this thing. And he pulled off the thing and it was, it was Dr. Evil. And I'm like, you caught, that's, that's Bill and Ted. That's the surprise of Bill and Ted. You never know who's going to show up and it's a situation comedy. And I, I, uh, I spent, I guess about eight hours with him. I was able to get a budget to bring him in for a day. And, uh, and we just sat and we wrapped and, and, I mean, we, we were from the same brain and the same style of humor. And, um, he helped me with a structure and, you know, actually brought some, some things that I hadn't thought. I mean, he's got a, a great comedic background training, um, and just helped me think a little bit 
um, in a broader term in some cases. And we worked really well together. I, I filled where, where some of his, uh, missing moments were, and he filled where some of mine were. And then I hired him to be in the show because I, I fell in love with the guy. I mean, and he's, he's, he's flipping talented. So he was Gandalf that year. And, um, we never look back. I mean, we've been, we've been the best of friends ever since. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, one of my favorite years was 2007. Uh, yeah. 2007. Um, and what was it like creating that year where you were working really closely with some, you know, some massive horror icons? Oh gosh. Well, you know, in the early days of Halloween Horror Nights, we never would go for any type of licensed character or branded character. Um, they would just have, we would just use them, right? We wouldn't ask for permission because this is in the days before YouTube. Yeah, this was the yeah. uh, the Wild West era of Universal yeah. that we'd love to hear about. Yeah, so, I mean, we would have Freddy Krueger and Leatherface and Michael Myers all over the place, but we wouldn't actually ask anybody. Um, and, you know, I think it's been years past where Universal can't get sued and <laughs> can't get no. sued. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. And it turned the statute of limitations is over. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as, as, as Halloween night, Halloween Horror Nights got bigger and bigger, um, you know, I always loved one of my favorite things was creating new backstories because they were like mini horror movies for me. Um, but also you want, I wanted to play with some of the established guys. Um, to obviously those three rise to the top and we were able to get all three because at the time they were all owned by the same licensor which was new line, right. which was fantastic. So, you know, um, and I actually remember in the design phase, you know, it was me, it was Mike and we both love those characters so much. So it was like, okay, who gets to do what? Cause this is going to be, you know, we got to share this. We got to share the wealth here. Um, and I remember, you know, Mike had a real uh, affinity for Leatherface. So I was like, then you know what? You take him and I'll take Freddie and then we'll both do Jason because we both love Jason. So it was so much fun, right? I mean, you know, you get to sit down and go, oh, I have to watch all those, the nightmare films tonight because it's my job, you know, and, and I know that character and I know Jason. Um, and then being able to work with the studio and get the seal of approval and like the filmmakers and it was just like, wow, okay. That's great. I mean, the only one that I never personally got to work with officially, um, and they have since, is Michael Myers, because that's my favorite, but I never got to do that. Um, but it's funny, uh, in 1990, I think it was 96, when Escape from L.A. Come, came out, I actually still have it. Um, Jason Sorrell and I put together a, a pitch to John Carpenter and Deborah Hill at that point about bringing Halloween and you know, we were, we were young and said, we'll just contact them. Right. So I got their information and we sent them a pitch and everything and we still got it. Uh, I think Jason has a copy of it too. I, I, I don't know, but it, um, it basically was on escape from LA letterhead and it's signed by both John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. We are very interested, would love to work with you, blah, blah, blah. And we showed that we were like so proud. We went into our executive kind of creative leader at that point and said, hey, look what we did. And we almost got fired. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, Jason kind of gave us a censored version of the story. So I like hearing it. <laughs> oh, no, we, we almost like literally the guy like lost his mind. He was like, how dare you represent Universal Studios to this film, blah, blah, blah. And was like, well, we, but, but, right. but yeah, so 
yeah, it was a, it was a learning experience. Um, yeah, no. And I mean, it was a lot of fun, but I, I tell you that the year they did Halloween, I went through with Mike Aiello and, uh, man, they did it right. It was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. Seeing the, seeing the Myers house and the fact that it ended and you actually saw Loomis and he shot Myers. It's like, and I'm really psyched for what they're doing this year. Cause yeah. I, it's a fan favorite for sure. Yeah. I'm sure you, you know, yeah. If you want some influence, I'm sure. Come on. You just, you just quietly text. Hey, I got an idea, Mike. Come on. Let's, uh, oh, Halloween too. Oh, oh, <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. never do anything like that. I know. And I know. Halloween is, uh, Halloween is in great hands. Mike Aiello and that team, they're, my God, they're knocking it out of the park. Well, we get to that point, you know, so you, do you go every year still or do you go often? And, and how do you feel about the event and the legacy that, you know, often you've, you know, when you especially look at the icon years is something that, that you definitely had a big part in shape. Oh, that's kind. Um, you know, for, for a while I didn't go just because I was really kind of close to it. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Um, but then about two or three years ago, ILO came to me and said, dude, come to the event. Come on and we'll have fun. And I was like, okay. You know, and I went with him and, and basically what we do is every year we'll go together and, uh, and sometimes David Hughes will join us. Sometimes Kim Grommel, we start out at Finnegan's, which <laughs> who doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we just, we just go through and, and we giggle like kids because that's what we are. Well, we one just, year we'll throw a mic on you guys for that. Cause I feel like that's something that I know we could never be there, but it would be a, a fun moment to be in the room for sure. Oh, uh, well, and, and again, um, it, it's, it's one of those things like, Oh, that's awesome. You know, like, and I, I, the operations hates me cause I'll stop and be like, okay, I want to really soak this in. And, you know, one of my passions too, is just audio. I love what audio can do. And, you know, I want to hear the entire track. I want to hear what music you chose. I want to hear the sound effects and, you know, it's I, yeah, like I'm not I'm not the best. Uh, they, operations hates me. I'll, <laughs> I'll slow it down. Absolutely. Chris. Uh, chance, obviously, this year. What, what do you think about that? You know, and, and um, you know, how did she come about back in 2007? Oh, sure. Uh, well, Chance, again, came about as as this idea that I was kind of bopping around for this this jack story and you know a, a king needs his queen and you know again she's harlequin i mean you know i'm not I, you're not hiding it yeah that, i mean she's harlequin i and uh and that's that to me was okay the joker needs his girl and at one point there was even talk of an icon called jill but that went down kind of a fractured fairy tales yeah, we heard there was like divorce and murder or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and and um, I mean, there's actually a a painting somewhere of her, but we didn't do that. Which I, I again, I wasn't like really big into that. I thought I thought Chance needs needed to be secondary um, at that point. Um, and then we hired um, an actress named Erin Klein, who was phenomenal. Again, who could match who could match toe to toe with with. Right. Keaton. Um, and some of the other guys. And, you know, I remember kind of talking to her and um, like she was like, who is Chance? And and I said to her, you know, not many people know this, but Jack was kind of a, a, a Jack in the box. That's that's what he became. Like, that's what his he was relegated to being. And and she's like a broken mannequin, like a broken Harlequin doll. And so there should be a fragility to her that, you know, 
she she almost isn't comfortable in the way she moves. She doesn't know that she's this object of desire. She doesn't know. And and the other the flip side of that coin is as innocent and and kind of fragile as a Harley Quinn is, she's she's baby doll from um, House of a Thousand Corpses. I mean, she's also crazy, like well, like a wild feral animal. Like she can turn on a dime. And those those were the two sides of her. And God, she played it so well. And you know, last year that seeing that again was so awesome. And you know, the fact that she's now kind of stepped into the limelight i i love it i love it and i'm excited to see because from what i'm seeing it's kind of a, a lot about her mind and and again that duality and should be a lot of fun yeah and absolutely and aaron for those who don't know is still chance yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's pretty awesome i love that about the universal lore that we've had we've had jack james is pretty much always jack and you know now we have aaron still however many years later got nine years later uh, taking still taking the role it's, it's pretty neat that you guys would do that especially from a theme park actor kind of point of view i well, really love that that's a beautiful thing about too florida you know there are people that are here that are so solid that you know you can go to california and you can go to new york and you can wait tables or you can actively work your craft in places that you know i mean these guys eat both of them keaton and klein i see them both in movies and tv and on stage but they are on stage here. They work yeah. and they do what they do for a living. They act for a living and that's rare. I mean, that's why, you know, anytime anybody asks me, I'm like, oh, you should go to LA. It's like, well, yeah, I could. <laughs> or I could be in Florida where I've worked consistently in my field since 1992. Yeah, at a pretty high level. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, well, we've caught up with today's Halloween Horror Nights. There's so many more stories I'm sure I'd love to get to. But you are here also because of something called Monster Kids, which I've watched the trailer for. And look, I'm a monster kid at heart. I grew up with the Universal Monsters. I actually just purchased the 16 millimeter of, of Frankenstein. I hope to watch that next week. Monster Kids just resonates with me. But for those that don't know, uh, you're a director, a filmmaker, a documentarian. If A lot of you guys have probably seen The Shark is Still Working because it was on the Jaws. It was on the Jaws Blu-ray? Is that where it came from? Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's where I was first introduced to it. Until, honestly, until our interview, I did not put two and two together. Chris said, hey, he made The Shark is Still Working. I was like, I watched that. Because here, here's where we're going to kick in. Ghostbusters, my favorite movie. Jaws, to me, is the perfect movie. So <laughs> that's how I always felt about Jaws. But you have a new project as well, and that is Monster Kids. And why don't you tell us what that is and, and what's coming out? Sure. Uh, well, first off, thank you. Um, yeah, Shark is Still Working is something I'm very proud of. And, you know, Jaws is my favorite movie. It is a perfect movie. Yes, like Absolutely. On that movie. It's perfect from structure, tone, combination, shots, visual effects, practical effect. Well, there were no visual effects. Practical <laughs> effects, music, everything. Scary, hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I grew up in a time when um, you didn't have access to horror movies like we do today. Like right now I can go out and I can watch any of the classic monster movies I want in the best possible way, like high def, perfect sound. But I grew up in a time where it was like, those movies didn't come on all the time. Um, and they came maybe once a, uh, once in a blue moon, you'd see Frankenstein. But for the most part, they had these horror hosts that would come on Friday nights or Saturday afternoons. And, they would introduce these movies and kind of be fun. And um, it was a time period. They also had Famous Monsters magazine. 
where that's where you could see imagery. But before that, you couldn't see – like I couldn't go on the internet and go, oh, I want to see a Stella Frankenstein. I had to thumb through my magazines and go, there's the picture I'm – Right. So really kind of having that, you know, there's a group of people that live that and love the monsters and and continue to to foster this generation of of basically – the most positive aspect of fandom and they're called monster kids because that's that they, they were introduced to these dark stories at an early age. And, you know, nine times out of 10, they came from a life of uh, solitude. The monsters became their friends or the movies became their friends or the artists that made the movies became their friends, you know, through the pages of famous mm-hmm. monsters magazine or through these horror hosts. And now some of those people have made, some of the best horror movies ever. I mean, you're talking Mick Garris and, uh, you know, or Rick Baker, uh, Greg Nicotero, all Tom Savini, all these guys are interviewed for the documentary. And, you know, then there's the level after that who were inspired by the monster kids who are monster kids of a different era that now have full accessibility and still love it and are creating not necessarily, um, fan work, but create, I guess you could call it fan films and arts, but I mean, like they're such top quality that, you know, it's like now the sky's the limit. So what I wanted to do is make a documentary that first off celebrated that that sweet spot of all children when they discover the monsters, what it is about the monsters that, that resonate, you know, the fact that the Wolfman, if you really think about it is puberty, right? Um, Once a month, this guy (laughs) changes and doesn't know why. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, he starts sprouting hair. Hmm. Interesting. You know, um, Frankenstein monster doesn't know what his purpose is, just wants to be left alone. You know, to me, the one monster that is just nothing but pure evil is Dracula. You know, he, he's, there's no misunderstood there. He's just a creature of evil, but, uh, you know, I mean the creature from the black lagoon, we went to him, you know, like he was leaving us alone. He's right. hanging out. And it's all our fault. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to celebrate first off that that the model kits and the toys and the Saturday morning and the Adams family on the af- in the afternoon and Halloween and what Halloween meant to that specific group and what it means now and you know, just kind of the the celebration of of the fun of being a fan of this stuff. Um so we just finished um the post-production edit um it's an audio mix right now i'm going to take it around some film festivals and hopefully get it released uh in some format whether it's a special feature or we're able to release it as a standalone disc that's that's the plan that is that's awesome i mean i'm i'm right there i'm not sure which generation of monster kid i am but i certainly was one and you know it's just it just sounds awesome i can't wait to see it and and celebrate it because I think a lot of us, especially a lot of us listening, look, guys, I know a lot of you personally now because you've all reached out. We all kind of felt that way as kids, and I think there's a huge part of that lore that you showcased even through through Horror Night. So it's a perfect combo. And there's a website up right now. You can watch the trailer, right? Yep, yep. Um, just look for Monster Kids Online, and you'll Monster find MonsterKidsOnline.com. Yep. And you should check that out, guys, and we'll keep you updated. When when it comes out, you give us a call. Let us know how people can can be a part of it and see it because I know that our audience will be interested. Heck, maybe we could even host a screening of it for you. Oh, that'd be great. We'll do something in Orlando. Maybe we could do something together. It'd be really neat. Well, man, I, I cannot tell you how much we appreciate you coming on and chatting you know, over an hour with us now 
about Horror Nights and about, you know, everything that's gone on in your career. Not the stuff that's happening now, but, you know, we'll get to there one day. We'll get that over on another <laughs> podcast that maybe I'm a part of. But, you know, beyond that, man, we, we are so thrilled to, to call you a friend of the show and to hear these stories that, you know, that's part of was the lore of this show. When we started this was, I don't want this show to just be me and Chris yammer on about being fans of Halloween Horror Nights. To me, it was people go on these behind-the-scenes tours and all these things. What are the true stories that come out of it? And thank you so much for, for sharing them. Oh, well, guys, we're, like I said, I, I, I mean, I am a fan and uh, I appreciate what you guys are doing. And I, I believe in, uh, I believe in what you're doing. And, you know, anytime you want to, you want to chat, just give me a call and, and I'll come back on. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Chris, you got anything else before we wrap up? Uh, we just want to know what date you're going to Halloween Horror Nights this year <laughs> so we can buy you a beer. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I will. I will let you know as soon as I know. <laughs> we'll PayPal you some money. We won't stalk you. We promise. All right. Well, Chris, I, I don't think we could have asked for anything more from that that conversation. Well, I mean, that was just uh, yeah, mind blowing. Could have gone on for two or three hours. Uh, he did say to me beforehand. I, I mean, I've got all afternoon. So if you want to talk for hours and hours, you know. Oh dang it! You could, you could have told me that now, man. I know it's like midnight where you are, but I could have just cut you off and kept going. Whatever, it's fine. He he seems more than willing to come. He back. will definitely come back on. I have no doubt. We got to do that. We got to figure out like a live event with him. I think uh, I think we should do a Q and A with with Roddy. I think would be a blast because you look at. Uh, how much not only he's influenced Halloween Horror Nights, but the dude can tell stories. He's like a Kevin Smith storyteller. You, you ask him one question, and it may be like the most brilliant hour you've ever heard. So it was awesome. Oh, I mean, definitely. I mean, I mean, the the guy created Jack. You know, he's created nearly all of the icons. I mean, he's creative genius, and, and the way that the event has turned out to this day, you know, a lot of it is is thanks to him. So you know, it's it's, it's just so brilliant. Well, Chris, to wrap it up, we are one week away a little less than a week away from the start of Halloween Horror Nights. We are, and we're still getting some little uh, news items sort of peppering in, um, such as Chance has now been confirmed to be appearing at the Scare Actor Dining. Yes, and the map was released, so you have like the, we, we can see a little bit, but that's right. I really want to go to that Scare Actor Dining. I'm not going to be able to go this year, but now I really want to go because I want to get my picture with Chance. That's but. right. I wonder if it's Aaron Chance. I want to see if we can find that. Well, yeah, there's some people saying yes, some people saying no. Another thing that's happened in the... We got sources. We got sources. We can. This is it. We'll find out. We'll find out. We'll put the feelers out. Oh, to confirm something. To confirm something that happened last week when we talked to, to Tim Tracker when he was doing his walkthrough. Yeah. The DeLorean from Back to the Future, he mentioned, was that the one of Bill and Ted? Was it not the one of Bill and Ted? So from some anonymous sources, and look, you've heard a lot of people who have been a, been a part of Bill and Ted for the years, but I mean, you can probably guess one of five of them. Uh, a couple of them confirmed it with me, actually, that the early years, it was that DeLorean. So it was the prop DeLorean from Back to the Future, was the one used the Bill and Ted show. However, last year, it was not. Last year, it was one that, again, I can't say any more information other than I believe someone uh, someone at Universal may be a super fan of Back to the Future, like a lot of us are, and have his own DeLorean. Wow. Maybe it's his. <laughs> wow. So that's pretty awesome. So that we, I was able to do some digging and find that answer for you. We'll try to find out about whether Chance will be portrayed by Aaron at the Scarecrow Dining. Either way, it's cool, though. Yeah, and there's one other quick one. Uh, a few months ago, I posted a rumor about the – uh, going to be an, another Halloween Horror Nights mega store coming. Um, in the last few days, the signboard has gone up above Macy's, exactly where we said it would be. So that's awesome! I can't wait. I've never even been in that building. Well, I guess I have for the Mummy extended queue thing, but I mean, it's been so many years. Wait, you, you didn't do the Star Trek experience? 
Oh, I did? Yes. I, that, well, okay, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> I have that video. I tweeted that out. If you guys want to watch me, and I showed it to my son, and he generally had like a crying meltdown. And he was like, well, I'm going to do that when I go to Universal. I said, no, buddy, it's been gone for a while. And he just had a like a legit, I want to just do the same as Star Trek and be Vulcan. I'm like, I'm sorry, buddy. There's nothing I can do about it, but maybe we can come up with our own version. He's like, no, I want to do it in the parks. Uh, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, I tweeted it out. You used to be able to get me and my brother in it. You used to be able to put yourself in the Star Trek uh, original cast, and it's uh, it's pretty fun. And James actually posted, if you dig it up, and I'll try to find James' post too, he posted Bill and Ted mm. in that, that they used for a pre-roll video. So it's pretty awesome. The, the problem is, I always feel like your son, because a lot of the times we interview these people, and they say, oh, yeah, we created Jack in the Hitchcock area. And I'm like, I want to go see the Hitchcock show again. I really miss it. Right. Yeah, and it's before, like, we all had really good cameras walking around exactly. with. So we could watch these, like, you know, crappy VHS, you know, you know VHSC taped version of them. But, uh, man, I, I do feel the same way, so especially when there's talking about, like, years that were just before my time. Like, 19 – like, I was at the park since I was – like, 91, I was there. But – you know, 96, I wasn't going to Halloween. Yeah, but this is why... It wasn't quite... This is why I always say 2007 and last year, the best years. No, 2012 and 2000. Oh, 2012. 2012 and 2015, or 2015, because I had the kids back to back. 2007, no, that was actually... I think my wife's first or second Horror Nights. That's where she actually was able to accept it because she loved you. Uh, so, um, well, guys, I don't, I don't know how we're going to top these interviews. Uh, thankfully, we're around the corner from Halloween Horror Nights, and we'll be able to talk about what's going on with the festivities. And then during the dark times, we've got some really cool stuff lined up. But, you know, we've had now on – we've had on Mike, you've had on James, and you have on Roddy. There's only so farther up you can go. <laughs> but we will definitely get some more obscure ones, some interesting ones, and we appreciate you guys sticking through and listening to our show each and every week as we've been coming upon the Halloween Horror Nights season. And uh, Chris, I'll see you in a couple weeks now, man. Yeah, yeah, we're getting close. We're nearly there. Absolutely. Well, guys, that's going to do it for ScareZone. As always, if you want to check out, there's still time. Amazon delivers quickly to get Chris's book before opening night of Halloween Horror Nights. And uh, you can find that on our website at ScareZone.com. And I'm seeing still, Chris, a lot of people, a lot of people posting about your book. They are, yeah. A lot of people buying the old book. Um, oh. Yeah, I had um, ta- Good for Target buy a, a busload of them the other day for some reason. They, oh, well, that's I know it's, it's great, but um, it's, a lot of it's out of date. But hey, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> just don't. Tell but them. no, don't tell them. That. As long as I don't get a busload returned to me, I think we're fine. <laughs> so is that like for? Do you know where those are going to end up? Like, are they for the stores in in Orlando area? Probably something like that. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes they give you a little breakdown geographically of where they go, but. Um, you can never be too sure. We'll have to take a look. If you find Chris's book, old or new, make sure to tweet us a photo of it and t- tweet him a photo. We're at SZ Podcast. Same with Instagram. As we get closer to the event, that Instagram is going to be a lot more popular, SZ Podcast. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash scarezone. And scarezone.com is where you can find our you know, our shows every week and see pictures of who some of these people are. I'm going to try to get that. Uh, remind remind Roddy to send us that picture of Jack because I want to see it and put it on our page. Uh, but we'll also have, you know, you know, we also have our shirts and our merchandise available. And if you order them now, you may not get it for opening day, but you may. You never know. But you'll be able to get it before the event, certainly before, you know, in just a couple weeks. Chris, I will see you very soon. Scott was thrilled about this interview, but of course, it is not a good day for him as he is on the road with the WWE. And he'll be back on, especially since he's going to be at day one. Oh, yeah. So he'll be, he'll be giving us a lot more. And, and guys, we'll try to keep it. We'll tell you when there's spoilers. We'll, we can't say it's going to be completely spoiler-free, but we'll tell you if there's spoilers. We may give it a little while until we completely destroy everything about <laughs> it because we're not going for a couple weeks. I'm not going for a couple weeks into it. So, man, that's going to do it. I am exhausted because that interview was incredible. 
as always, keep your eyes closed and your ears open. And as someone said, we need to change the tagline, which I think after this episode and James is true, we'll see you at Finnegan's. <laughs> Visit our website, scarefull.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash podcast. And remember to rate and review us on iTunes. This has been a production of Laugh Brown Studios. Copyright 2016.